Amen. What a joy to be with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's still on his throne, folks. He didn't go nowhere. He's not going nowhere. He's not nervous and he's not trying to figure out what he's going to do next, folks. He's in complete and total control of every single thing that's going on in this world. And we need to be reminded of that each and every day we live. As we turn to the book of Psalm chapter 20, I want to speak to your heart tonight. As we turn to Psalm 20 about the fight of faith. The fight of faith. Folks, if ever we better realize as the church of the living God we're in a fight, we need to realize it in this day and age that the Christian life, as Warren Wiersbe said, is not a playground, it's a battleground. We are soldiers, Paul reminds us in the New Testament, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hard-working farmers like athletes striving with everything we have to cross the finish line and keeping our eyes on the prize. When we look at Psalm 20, read with me a few scriptures and we'll get right into the sermon. The Bible says right here that David wrote these words in Psalm 20, verses 1, May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. With the saving strength of his right hand, some boast in chariots and some in horses. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord. May the King answer us in the day that we call. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what an awesome time of worship. We thank you for Tori and his family for using them to Prepare our hearts for the unadulterated preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Lord, I thank you for Bubba, Marvin, and Diane, their friendship, their fellowship. Lord, how sweet and special they are to Eric and I. And Lord, I pray for Bethany Baptist. Lord, I pray you'd send a Holy Ghost revival, dear God. Even tonight, you'd begin to touch hearts that the lost would be saved and the saved would be revived, dear God. We would live in revival. We wouldn't have to pray for it no more. We'd be living and walking in revival each and every day we live until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, Lord. Lord, fill me with your spirit, Lord God. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Use me for your glory to preach and teach the word of God. And Lord, let hearts be touched and lives be changed. Let us leave here saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And we'll give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise for all that you do. In the name of Jesus, our great God and Savior, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, I want to speak to your heart tonight about the fight of faith. This psalm that David wrote is a psalm that, uh, about a king going into battle, trusting God. 
He knows he's going to go into this battle. He writes this psalm with that in the context of it in mind. And he realizes that he has to be solely dependent and trusting God when he goes into battle. Folks, we're in the battle right now, I can promise you that. You were in a battle the day you got saved, but the war is waging even more, getting thicker and heavier. And we better realize as the church of the living God that this is not a playground. The gospel's not for sissies and wimps and fool-hearted people that believe you get saved and you're always going to be healthy and wealthy. Nothing's never going to go wrong. You're always going to get the promotion. You're always going to be rich. Folks, I'm telling you, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If any man will come out to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Folks, the problem is we got too much of self in the way. They understood what a cross meant in those days. And when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, men, folks, we've got to literally die, not physically, but we've got to die to our selfish ways, our own agendas, our own desires, and realize when we become a part of the kingdom of God, we're in a war. We're in a war for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the commander-in-chief is in charge. Folks, you can call upon the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Marines, and there ain't no telling what you get in the day and age we live in. But I want to tell you, when you get into the Army of God, when you're saved by the grace of God and washed by the blood of the Lamb, your commander-in-chief is in charge. And folks, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is on His throne. He's the undefeated heavyweight champion of not the world or the county or the town of the whole universe. He's never lost a battle and he never will. He's undefeated. His record is unblemished. He's on his throne and he's coming back in all of his glory and he's going to set this world straight by the grace and glory of God. But until then, you and I have got to keep on and fight the good fight of faith. David writes this psalm as a a, a warrior going into battle. And the first thing we see is the intercession of faith. He says right here in verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Prayer, number one, stabilizes the believer for battle. David cries out to God in verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. As soon as you enter into a battle, I want to encourage you as a child of God to remember this principle. You better lay the groundwork through prayer. Battles are not won in our own strength and power. Battles are not won in us figuring out what to do next and what the next step is going to be. The battle is won on our knees before a holy God. That's where the battle begins. That's where it ends. That's where the victory is won on our face before God. David says these words, My Lord answer you in a day of trouble. I want you to think of the battle that Hannah went through. How many of you remember Hannah in the Word of God? 1 Samuel chapter 1, Elkanah has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. He would go up yearly to the sanctuary and worship and sacrifice at Shiloh. And the Bible says Peninnah would provoke Hannah to tears because she was barren. So what does Hannah do? Does she quit the ministry? Does she move a letter? She said, I don't want to be a part of this temple no more. I'm going to go down to the next temple five miles down the road. 
No, I'll tell you what she did. She hit her knees. And in tears, she stood before Eli the priest and she began to pray. Oh, what great discernment, he says. She must be drunk. No, she's not drunk. She's in her right mind. She's sober-minded. She's on her face before God, crying out to God underneath the affliction and the persecution of the ungodly. Elkanah, he's so sensitive and such a great husband. He says, isn't, isn't my love and my gifts much more precious than ten children? No, she didn't want gifts. She wanted a child. So in the midst of an uncompassionate, insensitive husband and a priest who thinks she's drunk, she does the only thing that she knows to do. She gets on her face before God and she begins to cry out to God. And you know the rest of the story. The God who parted the Red Sea opened up her womb and blessed her with that mighty man, that priest and that prophet called Samuel, that mighty man of God, because she knew the victory was won on her knees for the glory of God. And this is what David's doing as he goes into battle. He understands where the victory is won. I want to tell you something. Prayer not only stabilizes the believer for battle, prayer energizes the believer for battle. In verse 2, David writes, May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. I want you to think about that couple of words right in there, the sanctuary and support from Zion. Get this thought in your mind as we look into the Word of God. The sanctuary on Mount Zion is where David placed the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Prayer is not just entering to the presence of God, but it's realizing that His presence is with you when you're on the battlefield. In other words, in New Testament teaching, you don't come to church just to realize God's presence is here. You realize when you leave this church, you are the church of the living God. You've been endowed by the Holy Spirit of God. He lives within you. And everywhere you go, the presence of God is within you to fight every single battle that you will ever face on the face of this earth. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, when Jesus commissions his disciples before ascending to glory, he says, all power. Turn to your neighbor and say, all power. Not just a little bit. Not just some of my power, Jesus said. He says, but all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe whatsoever commanded you. And Jesus said, and lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the world. Folks, worship is not just when we come and sing and Tori leads us. Worship is realizing that everywhere we go as we obey a God, the presence of God is with us as the church of the living God. Prayer energizes the believer for battle. Prayer authorizes the believer for battle. He says in verse 3, May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. You might not know this, but it was customary for kings in this time, uh, and especially in the Old Testament during David's times, before they went into battle, they would seek God's approval through prayer and through offerings before God. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you, don't get on the battlefield without God. You're on a suicide mission spiritually if you attempt to get on the battlefield without Jesus. Without the leadership of God, 
Folks, I want to tell you, there's people in the ministry from pastors to deacons to Sunday school teachers and even Baptists sitting in the pews are picking fights and getting on battlefields that God ain't on. That's why we find ourselves in the mess we in so many times. These kings would lift up meal offerings and sacrifices to God and they would begin to pray and they would begin to seek God's approval before they ever got on the battlefield to do business for God. I want to tell you, much time spent in prayer and seeking God is worth all the weight of the world, folks, before you ever step onto the battlefield. Never attempt to step on the battlefield without God through prayer and seeking God. Moses prayed to God in Exodus 33:15. He said, if your presence does not go with us, he says, do not lead us up from here. Moses, that mighty man of God, God, don't let me ever get on the battlefield without you. If you're not there, I don't want to go there. And I want to tell you, that's a good prayer for you to pray. Pick and choose your battles wisely, as the old country preacher said. Major on the majors and minor on the minors. David sought God's approval in many of the kings before they ever stepped on the battlefield to make sure that God's presence was with them. Folks, I want to tell you, sometimes we can get in a mess because we ain't seeking God. We're not seeking the will of God. We're just scheduling our daily plans and going about our business without getting serious about getting on our face and praying to God and waiting on God. I want to tell you, folks, there's something about seeking the approval of God and worshiping God and waiting on God. Even Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, 31, Uh, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, O God, to wait. To wait upon the presence of God. To seek God's approval before we just get out and try to serve God. Prayer strategizes the believer for battle. He says in verse 4, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your counsel. One godly writer said on this verse, he said, nothing equips us more completely for the day-by-day battle with the enemy than to have the confidence of a God-approved strategy. Most of our doubts and fears arise because we are not sure of our direction or of our motives. Are you sure this morning of the direction that God's leading you? Are you confident that you're within the will of God? Have you searched your motives before God? Are your motives pure before God? Why are you doing what you're doing this morning? Tonight. Cajuns are slow. I still thought it was morning. Did you know in the economy of God, why you do what you do is more important than what you're doing? You ever thought about that? I mean, I think of Mary and Martha and Jesus comes into the house and Mary gets to the feet of Jesus and she begins to worship and learn from the master. First thing Martha does, she starts cooking up some red beans and rice and some smoked sausage and some fried sakale. I think she was part Cajun. She called them sakale. Lord, don't you know she needs to get up and start helping me? She could be battering that sakale while I fry it for you. Jesus said, you leave her alone. She's chosen the better part. Folks, and I want to tell you, 
I've heard preachers twist and turn out. Well, we need hard workers in the church. We just we need hard workers. That don't don't be talking bad about Martha, folks. I want to tell you, Jesus rebuked her when she should have been sitting at his feet worshiping him. She was rebuking the one who was sitting at his feet worshiping. Jesus rebuked her because she should have been sitting at his feet as worship. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you, folks, sometimes we've got to pray and discern the will of God before we just take off and start trying to do all kind of things for God. Pray and get a word from God. Wait on God. Get direction from God. This is exactly what David and the kings did before they got on the battlefield. They waited on God. They prayed to God. They got God's approval. Probably sometimes we get in a lot of the messes we in because we have not sought the will of God. We just take off, man. And God rebuked the children of God in the Old Testament. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. The only right thing for you to be doing and me doing is to be sensitive to what God's up to and get in on what God's doing, not what we're planning. So we see prayer strategizes the believer for war. Think about this in Joshua chapter 1. Moses has died. God has spoke to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, and all this people to the land which I am giving them. And then God tells Joshua, every place on which the sole of your feet treads, I have given it to you. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He had a direct word from God exactly what he was supposed to do. God gave him instructions. He obeyed God, and God made him this precious promise. As long as, Joshua, you're walking in my will, obeying me and doing what I've called you to do, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And Folks, I just want to encourage you tonight. You've been saved by the grace of God. You praying and seeking God. Jesus is with you when you wake up. Jesus is with you when you go to work. Jesus is with you when you walk through a dark valley. Jesus is with you when you go through your daily life. Jesus is with you when you're sick. Jesus is with you when you're at the hospital. Jesus is with you when you're being persecuted. Jesus is with you when people take advantage of you. Jesus is with you when you get mocked. Jesus is with you when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you can't escape God's attention because the God who saved you by the grace is with you wherever you go. Then we see the expectation of faith to see the salvation of God. David writes in verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. Now this makes perfectly good sense because he's writing this as a psalm to prepare kings that are going into battle. But then David writes in verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. Why is that important? Because David is expecting victory before the battle is ever fought. And I want to tell you something, church. You ought to be expecting victory before you ever enter into a battle for the glory of God. Folks, God don't lose any fights. I remember two guys were fighting each other in the boxing ring, and the referee was in there. And, well, I mean, this one guy was whipping this old boy. 
Boy, he was tearing him up. I mean, he come to the corner. His lip was split. His mouth was bleeding. His nose was bleeding. And, man, the old coach gets in the corner. He said, man, keep up the good work, man. He ain't even touching you, man. He's barely even touching you. And the guy says, well, you better keep an eye on the ref because somebody in there is wearing me out. I want to tell you something, folks. There's an umpire and there's a ref, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's watching the battle as it rages, and I'm telling you, he's got his eye on the church of the living God, folks. I remember over there when Jesus said, Who do they say that I am? And the disciples answered, Some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. He said, Who do you say that I am? Peter stole, boy, Peter might have got some things wrong, folks, but I want to tell you, he hit a home run in some cases. He knocked it out the park. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are thou, sought Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And uh, I want to tell you something, folks. This is the deal. Jesus said, you spoke incorrectly, and upon this rock myself, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of God. Folks, I'm here to tell you, Satan is a wimp, he's a coward, he's a liar, he's defeated. Jesus is on his throne, and he's coming back in all of his glory, and every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To see the salvation of God. Right before the parting of the Red Sea, Moses said these words in Exodus 14, 13. Do not fear. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. He was expecting. Expecting victory. And God shows up. And I'll tell you what happened. All of those chariots behind him that thought they were going to destroy and kill the children of God. Mountains on both sides, the Red Sea before. God tells Moses to lift up that staff and he lifts it in that old Red Sea parts. Folks, and I want to tell you all the naysayers and all the skeptics and the ungodly and the wicked have come along. Oh, well, there was that a, por- a portion of the mor- marsh uh, on the edge of the Dead Sea where there was only six uh, uh, inches of water because when the tide coming out that time of the year, there was only six inches of water there. There's no way they could have drowned. Well, if God drowned them in six inches, it was a bigger miracle than they can think of. But they saw the salvation of God, folks. And that was a death sentence for any normal situation, but the glory of God showed up. The glory of God showed up. To see the salvation of God is the battle cry of the church of the living God. God saves us from our battles. He gives us strength to endure our battles. He's always victorious. And then to raise the standard of the Lord. The expectation of faith to raise the standard of the Lord God Almighty. The God of the Israelites is in control. He's on the battlefield. And we see this in verse 5. And in the name of our God, we will set up banners. You may not know this, but they would hold up banners. They would raise up banners and wave them back and forth before the battle. And that symbolized victory. That God was on them, and they held these banners up, and the enemy knew it. They were proclaiming victory in the name of the God of Israel as they waved their banners. It was symbolic of victory in the presence of God. Folks, I want to tell you something. I believe it's time for the church of the living God to get some big old banners. Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is coming back. Jesus is in control. And lead the church of the living God and wave our banners back and forth. The victory is ours. The victory has been won. And God is going to fight this final battle. And He's already won. It's a fixed fight, world. It's coming a time when it's going to be over, Rover. And devil, you move over because Jesus is going to say it's over, Rover. He's going to sit down on the throne of David over there when that temple's rebuilt. and Smite every enemy of God. Wipe out those that have come against the nation of Israel, folks. And I believe soon and very soon we are going to see the king. But until then, we're on a battlefield. Kind of remind me of an old song. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see the king. Do you believe it, church? Are you living like it, church? Are you ready to get on the battlefield and stand strong for the glory of God? I'm telling you, we're praying for revival, planning for survival, and getting ready for the king's arrival. He's coming back in all of his glory. Let's get on the battlefield and pray for revival. Pray for God to encourage us. Pray for God to strengthen us. Pray for God to give us the victory that's already been won and get on the battlefield and serve until the master comes back. And when we stand before God, we'll hear these precious words off the sweet lips of Jesus. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. The realization of faith. God's victory as an accomplished fact. David says in verse 6, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. How many battles have you been through as a believer? How many more do you think you're going to go through? Can you look back at all the victories that God has given you over the past and begin to just go down memory lane and look at God's track record? Can you say tonight that God's been faithful and I know that I know that my Redeemer liveth? He has whipped the devil time after time after time in my life. I tell you, when David had enemies coming against him, he would pray in Psalm 35, 26, let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. And David right here is saying that God has defeated every man enemy. He's won every battle and he's the God that is the same yesterday as he is today as he will be tomorrow. Thank God that he's going to Defeat every enemy that comes against you and all things are going to work together for good to those who love God and those who are going to be called according to His purpose. Many people stop there. We were predestined before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You never looked more like Jesus than when you've been hit with everything the world, the flesh, and the devil's got to give you and you're still praising God. Looking back and saying, God has truly taken care of me every step of the way. And we see not only that God, the realization of faith, God's victory is an accomplished fact. We see God's ministry as attendant force. He says in verse 6, his ministry as an attendant force, he says in verse 6, he will answer from his holy heaven. 
with the saving strength of his right hand. You know what this means, folks? The right hand is a place of power and strength and glory. And really what this simply means is that all the power and the glory of heaven comes to our aid as we fight the good fight of faith. All the power and all the glory of God is with us in the midst of the battle. That's why we can hold the banner up and proclaim the victory. There was a war movie. I watch some of these war movies sometimes, and there were scenes in many of them. Sometimes it's just a different name, but in these war movies you, re- you may remember this. The good old boys, man, them soldiers are there, <coughs> and they're trapped. They can't go forward. The enemy's in front of them. They can't go backwards. The enemy's in back of them. And, boy, they'll be on the radio, and they'll be going to the commanding officer and saying, we're, we're trapped. We're trapped. They'll say, give us your coordinates. You ever seen a movie like that? Give us your coordinates. Anybody here was in the military? You know how this works. And then they, they ask for the coordinates, and they'll give them the coordinates. They can't do nothing. They're surrounded. They're doomed if, if somebody don't step in. And once they get their coordinates, you guys in the military, remember what happens. There comes the backup. The most massive air raid you've ever seen in your life is on its way. And I want to tell you, once they get those coordinates, the enemy in the front and the enemy in the back, they all think now they're fixing to kill all these soldiers. It's going to be a bloodbath. And the next thing you know, the greatest bomb raid that you've ever experienced begins to come and obliterate the enemy. Folks, I'm telling you, that's exactly how God works in the life of a believer. He's got his eye on the church. He's got his eye on you. And the enemy's all around. And he thinks he got us defeated. And then God steps in and puts an old rugged cross and the blood of Jesus and a resurrection. And then we can say, we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us according to the word of God. The enemy's just a deceitful fool is all that he is. God brings in these massive raids into our life, gives us comfort in the midst of the battle, gives us strength in the midst of the battle, keeps us in our right mind, and and, and, and keeps our sanity together in the midst of the battle because He supplies all of our needs according to His riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus. His ministry has an attendant force. He will answer from holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand, and then we see the affirmation of faith. The affirmation of faith, no confidence in the flesh. Verse 7 says, some boast in chariots and some in horses. Folks, I want to tell you there's a danger in the life of every believer is to lean on our own flesh, trust our own ideas and opinions. But I want to tell you, my friend, the affirmation of faith is, number one, no confidence in our flesh. This is why they put up their banners and they prayed and gave their offerings and their sacrifices to get God's approval. They knew if they got on the battlefield without God, it was a suicide mission. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Just what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in God to get the job done or are you trusting in your flesh? Folks, I told the church where I got voted in and I'll tell it to any church everywhere I ever preached. They're not going to meet me to death, man. Another meeting, another meeting, another meeting, another meeting, another meeting where I'm supposed to be studying and praying and seeking God and getting a word from God to stay on the battlefield. I don't tell you, churches want to meet you to death sometimes. You know what we got to do? We need to have an old-fashioned 
prayer meeting where we seek God for the direction of the church, that the glory and the power of God would rest upon Bethany because instead of having meeting after meeting after meeting, we've met with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and He's given us our marching orders and now we can get on the battlefield and beat the devil to death with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then full confidence in the Lord. No confidence in the flesh, he says, with some boasting chariots and some in horses, but full confidence in the Lord. Look what he says in verse 7. We will boast in the name of the Lord our God. I like what John said, we must decrease and he must increase. There's no room for boasting in any church in the whole world except to boast on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will boast in the name of the Lord thy God. We're not going to trust in our flesh. One of my first memory verses I memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. You want your path to be directed by God? You want revival? Quit leaning on your flesh. Quit trying to run your own life. Quit trying to make your own decisions. Get on your face before God and seek His approval for every battle that you face, every decision that you need to make. Trust Him. Believe Him. Walk by faith and not by sight. Seek Him with all your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul. I love what Jesus said. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be filled. Maybe sometimes we just get on the battlefield and get ahead of God and we leave God in the dust and wonder why everything's such a mess. The affirmation of faith, no confidence in the flesh, the full confidence in the Lord. We will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And then I'm going to close with this. And I like closing sometimes two or three times, so I can't promise you it'll be one closing. The jubilation of faith. Now they get on the battlefield, and the battle's been won, and they're trusting in God, and, and David rejoices as he writes this psalm. What is he rejoicing about? What is he so jubilant about? His jubilation is this, folks. In verse 8 it says, They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. You know, the devil's a fool, folks. David says, they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. I don't understand it, and hey, maybe I'm way off, but I do know at the cross of Calvary when Jesus died and was placed in a borrowed tomb. And you know why he was placed in a borrowed tomb, don't you? Because he wasn't going to be there long. He didn't need it for that long. So it was a borrowed tomb. And I can just imagine as Jesus was crucified and placed in that tomb, all the disciples are weeping, they're in fear. And folks, I don't understand it and I can't prove it, but boy, I bet you the devil and all the demons of hell just, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. 
And boy, they was having a big old flesh party and a demonic party for about three days. Folks, that was on a Friday, but Sunday was coming. And come Sunday, there was a great earthquake. I want to tell you something, folks. That stone was rolled away and an angel came down and sat upon it and sat down on it. His appearance was as lightning. They fell down as dead men. And then I could just imagine that angel looking at all them demons and devils that was partying for three days. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone. And that angel just looked over there at the tomb and said, He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. Oh, he's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. And all them demons and devils started scattering and running and trying to get back into hell, but it wasn't that time. They didn't know where to go, but they knew one thing. The son of the living God wasn't dead. He was alive forevermore. And the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is coming back in all of his glory to get the church of the living God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. That's my daddy. Who's your daddy? <laughs> I'm going to close a second time, mug. Y'all keep on saying amen. We're going to be here till midnight. That's like saying sick and dumb pit bull. And I'm really going to close with this one. We have the victory, folks. The battle's already been won. We just need to realize it and recognize it and fall on our faces before God and begin to pray and seek God. And as God leads us and convicts us, we do whatever He's asking us to do, to stay on that battlefield and serve Him faithfully. You think of this old hymn, and we're going to close with it. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there. A song of victory. Father God in heaven, we are so thankful that the battle has already been won. Lord, let us not cower down and shrink back in fear, but stand on your holy word. You said in your word, Lord God, in 1 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, renew our hearts, revive our spirits, Lord, to proclaim the victory that we have in Christ, to lean on your everlasting arms and trust in the power of your Holy Spirit and the promises of God, the Holy Word of God, to engage us back into the battle. Set us free from everything that's holding us back, Lord God, and increase our faith. And as we walk by faith and not by sight, that you would revive our hearts and set us on fire for the glory of God until you return. For we know our help, where it comes from, and our redemption draweth nigh. And Lord, we want to praise you, and as we see the day of approaching all the more, encouraging one another as your children. In the name of Jesus, our great God and Savior, we pray. Amen.
Brother Marvin, I'm just going to turn it over to you while I pray and let you handle the invitation as the pastor. Guys, listen to your pastor and obey God, whatever he's speaking to your heart. Amen. You know, on a message like tonight, it's really not hard to figure out. If you're saved, you know what that victory's like. You know what it's like when you got to shout the joy of salvation. and You know what it's like also if you lose it. Tonight, if you lost your shout, you know how you get it back. My favorite verse, it's my life verse. I got it hanging in my shop on a big thing that Miss Jessica made for me. Paul told us, finally, my brethren, stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's the only way you can stand. If you're losing, if there's things in your life that you can't overcome, and there's no joy, and there's, there's things that keep you worrying with anxiety and overwhelmed with the things of the world, I can promise you it's because you're not standing strong in the Lord and the power of his mighty provision because he never fails. Every time in my life when I've been in a season in a valley of defeat, it's been because I haven't been where I'm supposed to be in Jesus. Every time I'm rightly connected to Jesus, Jesus is rightly connected to me, and I'm winning the fight. Tonight, you know how you get that right? You humble yourself. You admit that the problem's not the Lord's forgotten me, but that I've forgotten the Lord. And he's just been watching you all this time to come to your senses like that old prodigal in the hog pen. Man, I had it a lot better at daddy's house. And the father's waiting tonight with open arms saying, come on back. I want to bless you again. I want you to be under my provision again. I'll give you strength because it's in my name that we have the gifts of who we are. I'm inviting you to get right tonight, church. We can keep playing and being whooped and wondering why we can't win the battle or we can get right. It's easy as this. So I'm just going to tell you, Brother Marty laid it out there. What a beautiful message. If you can't shout after a message like that, you need to get right with God. And if you are right with God tonight, you want to stand with me right now and let's praise God. Let's not just stand here looking around if somebody's going to move or not. I know who already's moved in my life. How about you? The one and only King of Kings. And I'm going to praise him in this. What are we going to sing, Brother Tory? I surrender all. That's how we win. So guys, let's give these things to Jesus tonight. Let's see him glorified in our life and in our church. Let's quit whining about what he hasn't done. And let's start praising him again for what he has done. Can I get an amen? He saved you. He, he lives in you. And friends, tonight, let me tell you where victory's won. It ain't in that pew. It ain't sitting on your keister out there looking around. It's getting up here and humbling yourself, calling out to God. That's where revival happens. So if you want to come, God's waiting. I want to invite you right now, before anything else, Father in heaven, we thank you for the word we've heard tonight. And we rejoice in the faithfulness of you to fight the fight for us. Lord, the battle's not ours. It belongs to you. So help those tonight, Lord, who's struggling. We all struggle. We all fail. But Lord, help us to bring those battles to you tonight. Kneel at the altar of mercy and grace where we can find help in our hour of need. Lord, I pray right now that people are going to be real. 
They're going to come to you, and you're going to meet us tonight and move on this service. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm asking you to just listen to Jesus. I know he spoke tonight.